This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to the book of Philippians today. Thanks for being here for the very last Sunday of the year. Uh, man, I'm excited for uh, today. It's funny, um, it's, it's crazy to me, actually, it's probably not funny. Uh, it's interesting to me, rather, that some churches kind of treat the day, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's as kind of like a throwaway Sunday. Uh, some churches don't have church uh, today. That blows my mind. Uh, I believe every time we have to get the opportunity to get together, we should. Uh, I believe every time we open God's word, God's word should change our lives. And so uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to continue in our series in Philippians. Uh, I do want to encourage you to be here next Sunday. The best way to start off your new year is to be in church the first opportunity opportunity that you get to be here for that. And then coming up on January the 10th is what we're calling our Vision Sunday. Normally we have a Vision Night service in the evening. Uh, we're not going to do that this year, but we're going to have a Vision Sunday. And we're going to have a to introduce to you on that day, January the 10th, put it on your calendar two weeks from today, the theme for the new year, as well as the, the calendar, some things we got planned uh, for the new year to help you to grow as a Christian. So I want to encourage you to be here for that uh, as well. You can also pre-register for all of our services through uh, January. Uh, again, I know it's weird to pre-register for church. I'm thankful that you do, though. It, it helps us with uh, spacing and capacity and planning and logistics. So if you could do that for us, uh, that would be a huge, huge help. Philippians, where we find ourselves, Philippians chapter 1. And you'll be glad to know that today we finish Philippians chapter 1. It took us all year, but we made it, right? Uh, and so we, we took us a little minute to get there, but uh, we finally made it all the way through the book of uh, First Philippians, or the chapter of Philippians, chapter number one uh, today. So verse number 20, uh, we'll, we'll start off in verse 27, just for the sake of context, we'll read all the way through the end of the, the chapter. If you have the Hui Kala app, you can click on the, the podcast, click on the message for today, and actually there's a button called Fill in Notes, where you can actually type your notes on your uh, mobile device if you want to do that. Uh, feel free to do that. Uh, also, if you want to just grab a sheet of paper and jot some thoughts down, I'd encourage you to take good notes today, because uh, I think there's going to be some helpful stuff in here for you today. Philippians chapter uh, 1 Starting in verse number 27, again, by way of context here, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. Uh, he's writing a letter from prison. He was put in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, and so he finds himself in prison. He tells him, hey guys, I'm in prison, but don't worry because actually good things are happening in here. People are hearing about Jesus and I'm having more opportunity to advance the kingdom here, so it's okay. Uh, the church at Philippi was a church that Paul had started himself. He pastored it for uh, a little bit and then moved on. And then 10 years later, he writes them uh, a letter from prison, just encouraging them in their faith. And so Philippians 1.27, we spent about four weeks there uh, and unpacked that. Uh, but we'll start there, and then we'll really focus on verses 28 through 30 this morning. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The word conversation means the way that you live your life. Let it point other people to the gospel, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now heard, and now here to be in me. We live in a society today that almost pressures people to conform. 
uh, where we kind of have this idea of what you should do. And if you do something outside of what's considered the norm, uh, you're, you're weird, you're different. And then you open yourself up to ridicule and for people to uh, point fingers and make fun of you. Uh, if you don't believe me, just try going vegan for a week and telling people about that. Uh, every time somebody tells me, I'm, going, I'm switching to more of a vegetarian style diet, I come back with the same thing every I could never give up bacon. I just can't do it. Like I can give up a lot of stuff. Uh, I can't give up eating meat. I love to eat meat. I can't give up bacon. I love bacon. Uh, I, I love chicken. I, I mean, it's just, it would be hard for me to, to go vegan. Uh, and, and so sometimes then people will be, begin to make fun of this person because they eat a certain way or I'm going on a low carb diet. People say, oh, that stuff doesn't really work and all this other stuff. And everybody has an opinion, right? You know, if you have a, a new workout plan that you're going to try, somebody's going to tell you why that one doesn't work and why this one should be better or something like that. Uh, if you want to talk about politics, it's been said before that there's two things that you don't discuss in polite company, politics and religion. Uh, I frankly disagree with, with that for a couple of different reasons because if we can be civil and be kind, I believe we should be able to talk about things like that. But man, you want to talk, get people angry and get people fired up, start talking politics. Oh man, uh, people have strong opinions on that. Now, you want to cause even further division, bring up the topic of religion. And uh, you'll find that people have an opinion about that, and people want to talk about that and give their opinion and their two cents. Uh, that, uh, there's no shortage of things to complain about, things to be critical about. People love to hate on stuff. People love to criticize stuff. People love to have a strong opinion about things. But when you and I start following Jesus and people have strong opinions towards something that's so near and dear to us, it becomes kind of personal. You want to make fun of me for being a Christian? I take that very personally because being a Christian isn't just something that I do. It's who I am. It's to, to criticize that is to criticize me as a person, and it feels very personal. And so Paul, as he writes here and talks about people that are enemies of the gospel, gives us some things to think about and some things that will be helpful to us as we walk through life as committed followers of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, jot down a few thoughts this morning. First of all, there are enemies of the gospel. There are people who think that you're weird for being a Christian, or people who think that uh, it's, it's different, or hey, it's not for me, but, uh, but good for you. But then there are actual active enemies of the gospel, people who hate uh, our God, people who hate what we would stand for, who hate God's word. And these people will be considered enemies of the gospel. And again, if you take a look at verse number uh, 28, and nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them evident token of perdition, but to your salvation and that of God. That first part of the, the verse there, and, and in nothing terrified, the word terrified means alarmed or, or cause for concern. Don't be alarmed at the idea that there are people who hate the gospel. And so this should not alarm us in any way. Uh, this is just part of it. Now, again, it's important that we look at this, and when it talks about their, your adversaries, again, this is why it's important when we study the Bible that we look at context. We don't look, look at just one verse and, and grab out some words at that, because if we just did that, if we just uh, laser beam focused tunnel vision on verse number 28 and ignored context, we could say, your adversaries. Oh, these are people that don't like you. These are people who, uh, you know, uh, aren't good neighbors. These are your neighbors who, you know, park in your, your parking spot and things like that. That's not what it's talking about. Again, when we zoom out and look at context, because we have to read the Bible in context, verse 28 is directly connected to verse number 27. And verse 27 starts off and says, let the way that you live your life be a reflection of the gospel. And we are striving together for the faith of the gospel. And the adversaries, not adversaries of you personally, but adversaries of the gospel. 
people that hate our God, hate what we stand for, hate the book that we look, we read from, that we've founded our life upon. These are the adversaries that we have. The Bible says don't be surprised by that. This is not a cause for concern that people don't like what you're doing. And let me help you with this this morning. If you want to be popular and well-liked, Christianity is probably not the right place for you. If you want to be held in high esteem by the world, being a committed follower of Christ is going to be very, very difficult for you. Uh, It's funny because uh, regardless of what good you might do in other areas, if you make your faith critical to your identity, you'll be mocked and ridiculed guaranteed. Uh, I remember when, uh, man, 10 years or so ago when uh, Tim Tebow played for the University of Florida, you know, Tim Tebow, they wanted to talk about all of his accomplishments and things like that, but you know what everybody wanted to make fun of? The fact that every time he got a touchdown, he kneeled in the, t- the, the end zone and thanked the Lord for it. Oh, we can talk about his accomplishments, but we're going to mock his faith instead. Now, mind you, had Tim Tebow been a Muslim or had Tim Tebow been, uh, you know, an Orthodox Jew or had Tim Tebow been uh, a fan of Black Lives Matter, that would have been protected speech for him and anybody else would have been a bigot. But because he was a Christian, that was a, a funny thing to mock and make fun of. And then when Tim Tebow goes into the NFL and and didn't perform the way that people thought that he should have, one of the first things that they jumped on was the fact that he was a Christian, right? And again, we're going to to forget about his playing ability or his athletic prowess that he may or may not have, and we're going to focus on and make fun of the fact that this guy claims to be a committed Christian. And guess what? You, You know what Tim Tebow did? He just continued to stand for what he believed in, and I'm thankful for guys like that. But again, if he was trying to be popular, that's one of the last things that he wants to do. He doesn't want to to jump on a bandwagon that's going to get him ostracized and mocked. And so if you're trying to be accepted by the world, If you're trying to get people to look at you and think that you're really somebody, it's probably best that you keep the fact that you're a Christian very, very quiet because this is not the route to popularity. And for those of us that are Bible-believing Christians that have founded our lives upon this book, that have committed to being Christ's followers, I'm okay with not being popular because at the end of the day, popularity doesn't matter. But as we look at becoming a Christian, we need to understand it's not a matter of just not being popular, it's a matter of the fact that there's people that are coming for us and they're not happy about what we stand for. But it's important to understand that this happens, it's part of life, and and let me help you with something too, that just because you're excited about following Jesus doesn't mean the people in your life are excited for you following Jesus. It's so interesting to me when, when people encounter Jesus in in a real tangible way when they're confronted with truth and they repent of their sin and and put their faith in Jesus Christ and God begins this regeneration work in their lives to see fruit that begins to come out of that. You see guys that were, uh, you know, once... uh, addicted to alcohol and want to give that up and start following Jesus. Once addicted to pornography, want to give that up and start following Jesus. You see girls that were in uh, relationships with guys that are not Christ followers and they'll leave that guy and and seek to, to find a guy that is a follower of Jesus. You see this change begin to take place. But the funny thing to me is, is that so many times people are not really excited for that person. You know, that just because you're excited about following Jesus and you tell your parents about how great Jesus has been to you, don't expect them to share in your enthusiasm. That's, that, that's okay. They're not, they don't have the same priorities and values that you and I carry or that Christians should carry. I, I know people before who said, you know, hey, I'm going to stop uh, uh, drinking alcohol. What, you think you're better than us now? Oh, you're a goody two-shoes now. Hey, just because you're excited about following Jesus doesn't mean that everyone else will be. And that's Okay. Again, people sometimes look at this and go, oh, great, uh, you know, now following Jesus has caused division in my family. 
Jesus said that was going to happen. It's funny that Jesus himself said the words. You say to me, peace, peace, but I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And the truth that Jesus Christ is, he says, will divide father from son and daughter from mother. He said, the truth that I have is going to split families. That's part of it. And so we need to understand that this is not unique to us. This is not unique to our society. This is just the way that Christianity is. It's very black and white. Again, we live in a society that wants to gray everything and kind of mix everything together. And and, and we live in a day of religious pluralism where it's all kind of the same. And we all serve uh, the, the big guy in the sky. Whatever you call him is up to you. And all roads lead to heaven and things like that. That couldn't be further from the truth because Christianity must stand alone on the word of God. And that causes problems. Because if the Bible claims to be truth, and it does, if it claims to be the word of God, and it does, if Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him, and he does, then that means that everything else is wrong. So now we have people who say, what, are you telling me because I don't believe your book that I'm going to hell? I didn't say that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says if you die in your sin without Christ, you'll spend eternity separated from him in hell. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. And so that's why it's important to understand that the enemies of the gospel are actually the enemies of Jesus. So many times we take this personally. When people mock our faith or make fun of our faith or no longer want to, to include us in things because we're Christians, we take it personally like, oh, they don't like me. They don't like who I am. Please understand the enemies of the gospel are the enemies of Jesus. It's not you that they don't like, it's Jesus that they they have chosen to reject. When we share our faith with people and they don't come to faith in Christ, they haven't rejected us, they've rejected Christ. But it feels personal, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but like Christian is my identity, it's who I am. It's woven into the fabric of what makes me a person. It's part of my personality. And so when you reject Christ, it feels personal. But Jesus says, it's okay, it's not personal. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse number 18. If the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Jesus said this, hey, look, if the world hates you, it hated me first. Now, it's interesting, too, that Jesus says this, and he says it this way. Now, mind you, he's got a group of 12 guys that he put together that have been walking with him for about three and a half years. And they've been going and performing miracles and preaching and teaching and uh, helping people and, and really beginning laying the foundation of establishing a kingdom that would have no end. And during this time, Jesus didn't say to them, hey guys, when the world hates you, just know that we've always been hated. He didn't say we collectively, we've always been hated. Here's what he said. Before they ever hated you, they always hated me. That's such, and if you, if you just read that verse and gloss over it, you'll miss it. Here's what Jesus is saying. I've always been, always. Jesus is claiming in this verse to be God. Before you ever were here, I was there and I was hated then. People have always hated God. People have always hated Jesus Christ. This is not a new phenomenon in our society today. Jesus said this, if they hate you, just know that they hated me first. And that's okay. And here's what he says. But if you were of the world, 
they would love you, but because you're not, they hate your guts. This leads us to a second important thought that we need to think about too, is this. If our life is deemed acceptable by an unsaved, God-hating, Christ-denying world, there's something wrong with the way that we live our lives. If the unsaved man looks at the way that we live our lives and says, well, that makes sense, good for you. There's, there's probably something missing there. If our life doesn't stand out in stark contrast to the life of the world, the unsaved person, maybe something's not right somewhere because Jesus said this, if you live the way I tell you to, you're not gonna be accepted. You're not gonna be popular. So we need to examine our lives and say, does my life stand out in stark contrast? Now, this does not mean that you're trying to get people to hate your guts, right? I'm not trying to get people to, to not like me. You know, there's a guy one time who attended our church for a brief period of time. He's like, Pastor, I'm enduring such persecution at work. I, you, you just wouldn't believe it just for, just for being a Christian. And I said, man, I want to pray with you on that for sure. I said, tell me about that. He goes, man, I go into work every single day. And I'm telling people, like, you're going to hell. You're going to split hell wide open when you die. You see, that kind of stuff is why you're going to hell. And he goes, like, every time I see people do something, I point out, like, that right there is sin, and that's why you're going to hell. And then I invite him to our church. And I was just like, oh, my soul, please don't do that. <laughs> you know, I tell him, like, like, you know, you watch football, and the football, you know, is, is run by all these beer companies and stuff like that, and you shouldn't even watch football. And I was just like... Dude, the problem with the world today is not watching football. Come on. I don't think people should watch football because it's very boring, but um, <laughs> it's a different story altogether. But. He's just like, oh, you know, he, he was against everything in the world and everybody else should be too. And he telling them why he's a ter they're a terrible person, why he is a model Christian. Because I'm telling you, Pastor, it's just hard being a Christian. People hate your guts. No, people hate your guts because you're a jerk. People hate your, your guts because you're self-righteous. People hate your guts because you're spouting religious platitudes and you have a holier-than-thou attitude. People don't dislike you because you're a Christian. They dislike you because you're a jerk. So I'm not talking about starting a campaign to get people to be against you and to hate your guts. I'm talking about living a real-deal Christian life makes people uncomfortable. It makes people feel awkward. And here's the thing. That's okay. I don't mean to make people feel awkward. I don't mean to make people feel out of place. Our gym put on a, a get-together that they had, and, and so uh, we went, because there were some people in our, at our gym that we were trying to get to Christ and had been witnessing to and things like that. We went, and I knew basically the, the first part of it was a meal that we were going to, and I knew after the meal was served that they were bringing out alcohol after that, and from there, the next four hours turned into a booze fest. So I knew we had probably about a, a window of about... 90 minutes before things started getting out of hand and we should probably leave. And so that's what we did. So my wife and I went, we sat at a table with some folks and we're talking with them and invited them to church and stuff like that. Uh, and then uh, they, they started bringing around uh, alcohol and that was what time we started getting our stuff together and we were getting ready to leave. And the guy says, oh, you guys aren't going to stay? He says, man, have a beer. I said, well, we don't drink. Uh, and he goes, oh, are you, are you in recovery? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would you say that? Well, just, I mean, everybody drinks. No, they don't. Well, well, unless they're in recovery. No, not everybody drinks. I said, for us, I said, I said we just chose not to. I said, we're, we're Christians, and that's a decision we made. He was like, oh. And he sat there for a minute, and he goes, 
well, this is awkward. <laughs> I didn't make it awkward. I, I didn't say anything at all, you know. I said, I'm, I'm sorry I mean for it to be awkward. I said, I said, did I say something? He goes, no. He goes, just like, like I don't even know how to have fun without alcohol. Oh. And he kind of sat there for a minute, and he was like, wow. He goes, I just said that out loud. Yeah. He goes, I need to think about that. Good. I said, we're headed out. <laughs> I said, I don't want to ruin your night. I said, I just want, if you like coming to church, I'd love to, to have you. And so I saw him at the gym a couple times. It was awkward when I saw him at the gym because we had two different value sets. And my value set made him feel uncomfortable. The fact that he, he wants to drink and, and can't have fun without drinking, that doesn't make me uncomfortable that he wants to live his life that way. But the way that I lived my life made him uncomfortable. But here's the thing. His problem was not with me. His problem was with truth. And so again, we can't take this personally. It's not against us per se. And again, if the world hates us, uh, it's, it's because they hated Jesus first. And again, I think we need to be very, very careful too in the fact that, that we don't allow our, our church to reflect the world. Uh, the church should be distinct from the world. The, the people of the church should be distinct in the way that we live our life, separate from the world. There's a church in uh, Atlanta with 10,000 plus members that in like May of this year decided they were gonna cancel all their services through the end of the year. And just like, you're not gonna have church for like seven months? And here's what the pastor, I saw the, the video with my, my own eyes, and if I could ever reach through the internet and grab somebody by the throat, I probably would have. Here's what the pastor said. With the restrictions and spacing and the, the capacity uh, uh, restrictions put in place by uh, our state government, we don't feel like we could provide a quality worship experience for our folks. And so uh, due to that reason, we're, we're no longer gonna have services this year. I know what quality worship experience means, a show. We can't have the lights, we can't have the singers, we can't have uh, all the, the big fun stuff that we do, so we're just not gonna meet. And I thought to myself, God never called his people to have a quality worship experience. He called his people to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's it. But the problem was this church had become a performance and they couldn't put on a good show anymore, so they canceled services because the, world, the, the church had become like the world. And this is a church where, you know, unsaved people feel very much at home where the pastor said things from the pulpit, hey, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay until you die and you're separated from God forever. Then it's really not okay. And so again, we cannot allow the world to influence the way that Christians live. The Christians must influence the world that's why we, uh, when we talk about the enemies of the gospel, so many times we're thinking about you know, our neighbor or something like that. Hey, look, we need to be on guard against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And understand that these things are set up for us to fail. When we think about the world, the world has a different value system than what Christians should value. The world's system says this, if you have more, you are successful. If you have more stuff, you're successful. If you have a better job, you're successful. If you have really important letters after your name, then you're more successful. If you have a nicer car, you're more successful. If you have a nice house to live in, you're more successful. If your kids go to a good school, you're successful. Therefore, now they can be successful. And again, we buy into that. I remember as a kid, 
we used to go to Sears. Now, this, the closest Sears to us was probably 30 minutes away. We had to go to the mall to, to go to a Sears. But you go to Sears, and you could get the Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog. How many of you remember the Sears catalog, right? A handful of us are still around. We are the dinosaurs, okay? Uh, but it was like the size of a phone book. And it was all the stuff that Sears had. And if your local Sears didn't have it, in the back was an order form where you could write down the item number that you wanted, the amount, and there was a place to staple your check and put it in the mail, and they would mail it to you. How crazy is that, right? Like, if I can't get some stuff like second day from Amazon, I just don't even want it, right? The idea of mailing a check in and waiting for my stuff to show up, that's crazy, but that was the world we lived in. But here's the thing. There's always a section for toys, and I would immediately flip to that section. And you find all this stuff that you never knew existed. Like, I never even knew that there was a Hot Wheels track that was this big. I want that now. I totally want that. But wait a minute. That's the Hot Wheels track where you have to, like, push your own cars. They got ones with these little guns that you pull the little, the little trigger, and they just, like, keep going around. I want that. I didn't even know they had those, but now I want it. And they have remote control cars and remote control tanks. And this remote control tank has these little caps that you put in that you pull this thing back and you pop it. It makes a popping sound and it smokes. I want that. Then I begin to circle all this stuff in there. I, I didn't even know that this existed five minutes ago, but now I want it. Here's the crazy thing. That system still exists today. It's just you don't have to pick up a catalog to get it. You walk out your front door and it's there. And you don't have to staple a check and send it in the mail. You just pull out your card or you use Apple Pay and you just automatically get it. And that system of I didn't know that I wanted it, but now I've got to have it, it still exists today. It still exists today. Like, here's the thing. The world is set up to cause you to be discontent. Like the Apple iPhone 12 came out. I don't know why I need it. I'm just sure that I need it. Like, I need to go look at the specs to find out why I need it, right? Because the world is set up to cause me to want more. It always encourages me, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. When I'm talking to guys in our church, and I say, uh, oh, yeah, uh, send me a text message on that, and they'll pull out their phone, and there's guys in our church that have, like, the iPhone 5. It's like the size of, like, a deck of cards, right? And I look at that, and I go, dude, I want to be you. I really do. Like, I wish, I wish I didn't buy into the idea that I needed a bigger camera or could take more photos or could load more stuff and get more storage and be three times faster and wireless charging. I wish I didn't buy into that, but I do. And, and I look at these guys holding this cell phone that looks like it's about to fall apart with a busted screen, and I go, dude, I want to be you when I grow up, you know? Because the world set you up to fail. That's an enemy of the gospel. Please understand the world is an enemy of the gospel in the world's sense. Secondly, our flesh is an enemy of the gospel. And if you are not careful, please understand this. If you are not careful, you will become an enemy of the gospel. Like not me though, I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian. No, you, you're specifically who I'm talking about because your flesh will lead you astray. You're going to get to a point where you feel like you don't really need God anymore. You don't really see how much value he's providing to your life anymore. And living under the rules and restrictions and guidelines that God said hasn't really done anything for you up to this point. And so it's not really working for you. And your flesh desires the things of this world. And guess what? Before you know, you get sucked in and you no longer find value in the things of God. And you yourself become an enemy of the gospel. 
dangerous. Third, we need to be on guard against the devil. The devil is definitely an enemy of the gospel. And I've got good news for you today, friend. If you've been saved, if you've been born again, if you're a child of God, please understand this. There's nothing the devil could ever do to take your salvation from you. Jesus says that, that when we are saved, we're sealed in his hand and that his hand is in the hand of the Father and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. And Jesus said this, everyone that my Father gave, and gave to me, I will not lose a single one of them. So please understand that the day you accepted Christ as Savior and were adopted into the family of God, that was good for life and there's nothing you can ever do to lose that. Amen. The devil can't take your salvation if he wanted to. But... The devil can steal your joy like that. And you'll be miserable. You'll hate your life. You'll hate being a Christian. You'll hate everything that there is about life because the devil can steal your joy. He can steal your desire to do right. He can do that by tempting you. The devil can completely and totally steal your effectiveness for the cause of Christ. The devil can ruin your testimony. All these are things that, well, he can't take your salvation, but he can take the things that, that matter. So I need to be careful and guard my life against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the enemies of the gospel. But then there's people who flat out hate the gospel too, and I need to be aware of that too. That's important to understand how we view the gospel is based on our relationship with Jesus. <laughs> Take a look at verse number 28. And in nothing terrified or don't be alarmed by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. See, again, here's the idea. Jesus is truth. So a rejection of truth is a rejection of Jesus Christ. When the Bible tells us Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by him, and people say, I don't really believe that to be so. That's a rejection of capital T truth, eternal truth that doesn't change. That's who Jesus Christ is. It's a rejection of Christ himself. Sometimes in, in sharing the gospel with people, I say, Hey, if you're willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, he'll save you today. Is that something you'd be interested in? They say, well, I'm not really sure right now. I need some time to think about it. And that's fine. But please understand, by not accepting, you're choosing to reject truth. Well, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I'm just not ready to accept. The default is reject. And you can only reject until you accept. And so by rejecting capital T, truth, you're rejecting Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is truth. Again, John 14, 6 should be burned into your mind. And Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus claims to be truth embodied. And so all eternal truth is found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, any rejection of eternal truth is a rejection of Christ himself. This is why you and I have to be ridiculously vigilant against false teaching. Look, when it comes to what the Bible says, we need to be 100% clear on what God says and we need to follow it to a T. Because when we divorce ourselves from 
capital T truth, we're moving away from the person of Jesus Christ. Got to be clear on that. That if we say things like, well, I don't really believe that, you know, God only speaks through his word. I think that God still speaks in visions and dreams. Be careful. Because now you've disagreed with the Bible. Because Hebrews 1, God's spoken times past through the prophets, but today he's spoken through his son. God speaks authoritatively through his word. So when you say God continues his revelation, that is, first of all, false teaching, but secondly, that's speaking of the fact that God's truth, capital T truth, is not good enough for you. We need other stuff too. So that's false teaching. We have to guard against that because an attack on capital T truth is 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 an attack on Jesus Christ himself. When other false brands of Christianity say things like, if you, don't, if, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Hmm, careful with that. Because I've never spoken in tongues. And if I've never spoken in tongues, and according to some, I don't ha- that means I don't have the Holy Spirit, then we gotta work this out again in accordance with capital T truth. And the Bible says in Romans chapter five, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. So if... According to you, I don't have the Holy Spirit. Then according to the Bible, I'm not saved. And if I'm not saved, I'm in a heap of trouble. So again, that's why we have to protect against false teaching. We can't just say, oh, these people believe a little bit differently, but they're good folks. Hey, I know some Mormons that are good folks. That doesn't mean we align ourselves with with doctrine. We stand firm in biblical doctrine. So again, any attack on on truth is is an attack on Jesus Christ. You you take Catholicism, which says you have to be baptized in the Catholic Church to go to heaven. That's in, I I didn't make that up. That's in the catechism of the Catholic Church. You must be baptized in the church to go to heaven. That's the first way that you receive grace, according to the Catholic Church. Hey, look, that's an attack on the blood of my Savior. I take that very, very seriously. And we got to guard against that and say, ah, nope, we're going to stand on capital T truth. Because, again, false religion is an enemy of the gospel. This is why, again, I hate with a capital H the so-called prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is not the gospel. It's another gospel, which, again, <laughs> read through the book of Galatians. Sometimes Paul sets it out very clear, Galatians chapter 1. It's, not a not, it's another gospel which is not really the gospel. The prosperity gospel says this. Jesus came to meet your greatest need, and your greatest need is health and prosperity. The biggest problem you got in the world is you're poor and you're sick. It's the biggest problem you got. And Jesus came so that you wouldn't be sick, and Jesus came so you wouldn't be poor. So if you're driving a car that keeps breaking down on you, friend, you need to have more faith. You need to proclaim in the name of Jesus a brand new car. And you probably need to tithe because people who tithe, their car doesn't break down. What? Jesus came to give me reliable transportation? That's new to me. Oh, Jesus came and died on the cross so that I could dress my kids in better clothes? Oh, that's new to me. And so again, we we have to say, wait, 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 wait. That's an attack on capital T truth. Jesus came because our greatest need was our sin. Jesus came to die for our sin. 
that Jesus doesn't care if we got $10 in our bank account or $10 million in our bank account. Our greatest need is a savior from our sin. And when you say that Jesus came so that we could be rich, that's an attack on truth. And again, lest we believe that this is relegated to, to prosperity gospel churches, there's so much bad teaching when it comes to things like giving. I was in a solid Bible teaching church one time, and I heard a, a pastor say this. He said, if you're not tithing, just know God's going to get his money one way or the other. And so if you're not tithing, just, just know your car's going to break down, your transmission's going to go out on your car, because you can either pay the car repairman or you can pay God, but he's going to get his money one way or the other. And I thought to myself, does God really make people's car break down because they don't tithe? That's God's way of getting his money back? Is God so terrible of a debt collector that he has to break down your car to get his money back? I mean, you just follow that out logically and it doesn't make sense. And here's the thing. I've tithed since I was five years old. I've had a transmission go out on three of my cars. It just doesn't even logically make sense. We don't give because we're in fear or guilt of God doing something bad to us. I give because I love the Lord, I want to be obedient to his word, and I want to worship him with every fiber of my being. Not because I'm scared that I didn't get the oil changed and my engine's going to lock up. So again, we have to guard against false teaching because Jesus Christ is truth. And any attack on truth is an attack on Jesus Christ himself. It's a big deal. So, but when it comes to the gospel, for the unsaved man, the gospel is foolishness. Bro, you're going to let a book that was written 2,000 years ago that's been changed over 2,000 years that was written by man control the way that you live your life? Bro, you're going to let some book that was written to, to people thousands of years ago rule your life in 2020? You're going, you're so weak-minded and feeble that you're going to follow the masses because some ancient book told you to do so? Bro, you're so pathetic that you need religion as a crutch to lean on? Hmm. You see, to the unsaved person, the gospel's foolishness. Look, I know it sounds crazy. I know. I know it sounds crazy that God who created the heavens and the earth knows my name. That sounds crazy. I know that he loves me. I know that's crazy. I know that I've broken God's law not once or twice, but time and time and time and time again. It's, it, I know. That part's not crazy. That, that's easy. But the fact that because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell, it's hard to stomach. I mean, I've done a lot of bad things in my life that I'm not proud of, but do I deserve to die and go to hell? Probably not. I can think of some people who would probably deserve that, but not me. But God doesn't want me to go to hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell, so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That's the whole reason that Jesus came. It was for me, for you so that we don't have to die and spend eternity separated from God, so I don't have to go to hell. Jesus came and died in my place. He died in your place. And if you'd be willing to put your faith and trust in him today, he would save you from your sin. That all the wrong you've ever done in your entire life could be wiped away as if it never happened. If you'd be willing today to say, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and to save me, that he would save you today. And then you could be adopted into the family of God and no longer an enemy of God, but a son, a daughter. 
and your sins would be forgiven and so that when you die, you can spend eternity with God in heaven and your sin debt completely and totally paid for. I know that story sounds crazy, but it's true. It's what the Bible says. It's the gospel. I share that story oh, a thousand, two thousand times in my life with somebody. Sometimes in settings like this, sometimes in Bible studies, sometimes, in, sometimes people ask me to, to pray, uh, Pastor, you know, I'm having an advancement ceremony. Would you come and pray? Absolutely in my prayer, Lord, thank you for the fact that we were sinners in this world with no hope. Thank you for the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins, that anyone here today that would put their faith in Jesus could be saved from their sins. Thank you that faith and repentance is the way to come to you, not by being religious and being a good person, but thank you that you're willing to save anybody that comes to them regardless of what they've done. Amen. Crazy prayer to pray. Hey, I do it every opportunity that I get. I want to tell people about it. Those green cards that we have that we hand out, you know what that has on the back of the gospel? It tells people how to get to heaven. And so of the thousand, two thousand times that I've shared this in my life, I've had people sit and go, wait a minute, let me get this straight. God, who created everything, who lives in heaven, became a man and, and lived on this earth and died to pay for our sins. Right. So you believe that God became a man. And he never sinned, never did anything wrong. Yeah. And you believe that I believe in him that I can go to heaven when I die. Right. That's pretty far-fetched, man. And, and you got this from the ancient books. Right. Written thousands of years ago. Right. Preserved over time. Right. With no errors and no modifications and no changes for people to say what it wants to say. Right. That's too far of a stretch for me. That's an out there story. Bible-believing Christians look at the idea that two rocks banged in together in the middle of the space somewhere and you and I are just here. I say that's crazy. But again, it comes back to our perspective on the gospel. To the unsaved man, the gospel's foolishness. It just doesn't make sense. 1 Corinthians 1.18 for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us that are saved, it's the power of God. So for the unsaved man, the gospel's foolishness, but for the Christian, the gospel's everything. Everything. I, I don't even know where my life would be if it weren't for the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, the good news. Me and a friend were going through discipleship this past week and uh, we were talking and I said, the test of how important God is to you is if you quit following tomorrow, if tomorrow you became an unbeliever, if you just gave up on God tomorrow, what impact would that have on your life? For some people, they'd be like, Psh, I don't have to get up early on Sundays anymore. I could sleep in, hang out around the house, get ready for Monday, get ready for work. Probably get caught up on my Netflix. About it. Get, get some extra time in my schedule. For me, like if, I, if I was an unbeliever tomorrow, I don't know. I have no idea. My life would fall apart. Fall apart. Because... Everything that makes up who I am is found in this book. Everything that I've built my life upon is found in this book. 
am I living a life that matters or does it even matter? If there's nothing after this life, then, then what? I gotta do my best in this life. If this life is all that we have, it's pretty crummy. I mean, think about it. If this is the best that it ever gets, I need to get my life better. I need to make more money. I need to take that trip I've been wanting to take or go that place I want to. I need to get a, need to get a better car. In my marriage, I mean, if, if I'm an unbeliever and my wife is too, I mean, she could have done a lot better than me and maybe she, this is her time to say, hey, you know, I've put into my family these last you know, couple of decades. It's, it's time for me now. And she decides to go out and live her life for her because she wants to be happy because this is her one life to live. Hmm. I don't really know how to raise my kids because, you know, kids don't come with an instruction manual. Ha, ha, ha. Actually, they do. It's the Bible. But if I'm not going to be a, a believer in the Bible, then I don't really know how to raise my kids. I'm just going to try to give them all the stuff that they want, make, make them happy, and whatever they want to do, I'm going to help them to do it and just be supportive. And like, I don't know how to live life apart from God. I don't. And for me, the Bible is really the only thing that makes sense. The world is chaos without something that anchors us to truth. This world is chaos. It's nuts. So I've got to have something that pulls me back. And it's the Word of God. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, the gospel's it. That's why we talk about the gospel every single Sunday. You know, that's why we're not giving five tips to a happy new year's, you know. Be yourself. Be confident. You know, be punctual. Some of you could be helped by that. Uh, but again, it's not, no, the word of God, the gospel is what drives everything. So, Verse number uh, 28, nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. That word perdition means destruction. How do you know these people are unbelievers? Because of their hatred for the gospel. That's the evident token. That's the clear indication that these people are headed for destruction, their hatred of the gospel. Now again, it's important to understand we don't, we're not fruit inspectors. It's not my job to determine who's saved, who's not saved. Oh, that person, you know, doesn't seem to be living right. They're probably not saved. Be careful with that. That's not your job. But if someone is actively opposed to the gospel, that's an evident token of their destruction. It's obvious. If you hate God, hate God's word, hate the gospel, hate Christians, it's very clear that you're probably not saved. Evident token of your destruction. But for the Christian it's everything to us. Verse number 30, actually verse number 29. <laughs> For unto you is given on behalf of Christ. So again, it's talking about the gospel, salvation. And again, I love how this, this breaks down. Go back to verse number 27. That your conversation, the way you live your life is, is evidenced by the gospel, backed up by the gospel. And then how we have enemies that are against the gospel, but their destruction is coming, but you and I are saved through Jesus Christ. 
And then it says this, verse 29, for he is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Oh, thanks for being encouraging, Paul. You know what I love about Paul? Paul never sugarcoats anything. He doesn't make it really easy to swallow. He just tells it straight like it is. And so, by the same token, I want to be a straight shooter with you. Following Jesus is not always easy, but it's always best. Not always easy, but it's always best. There's a single lady who was uh, attending our church in the early years of Huikala, and um, she, was, uh, she was saved, but was really trying to figure out what it meant for her in her own life to be a Christian. And, you know, through the topic of conversation, found out that she was a bartender at a bar. And I asked her, I said, do you believe that that's a job that honors and glorifies the Lord? And she said, absolutely not. No way. Mm -mm." And I said, what are you going to do about it? She goes, there's nothing I can do about it. And she said, I make really good money. I don't have a lot of skills. I work evening hours. She says, I'm good at my job and I can pay all my bills working a couple hours a night. And she goes, I don't, I don't really have any other options. And I said, what if you could quit your job and God provided something for you and then God took care of all of your financial needs? Would you be willing to do that? And she said, I probably could, but it would be really, really hard. <laughs> and I told her, following Jesus is not always going to be easy, but it's always best. And, and she ended up quitting that job, moving to the mainland. <laughs> I want you to quit the job. I don't want you to move to the mainland. Uh, but she did. And she sent me an email a couple of years ago. And she said, I remember hearing again and again, do you believe that God could do it? And she said, and that just stuck with me that I say that I have faith, but I, I wasn't willing to act on it. And she said, she began to tell me about how God had worked things out for her and how she wasn't, you know, attending bar anymore, but she had gotten a job that she found fulfilling, was able to help people with. And man, I never said it was going to be easy, but I can tell you this, it's the best, guaranteed. And so when it comes to times of suffering, though, sometimes people think that when suffering comes, something's wrong. Hardships don't necessarily indicate a problem. Again, people have a misunderstanding of Christianity that they think, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus and everything in life falls in place exactly the way I have it planned and everything works out just the way that I want it. You misunderstand Christianity. And again, when people buy into a form of so-called Christianity that says, God just wants you to be rich and happy, and then they start following God and find out that they're not rich and happy, then they believe that God has failed them. You know why? Because the idea that God wants to make you rich and happy is an attack on capital T truth. And now when you feel like you didn't get what you were owed, you're disappointed not in false religion in yourself, you're disappointed in God. That's why we have to be vigilant against guarding against false religion. We're going to stand against it and proclaim truth. But here's the thing. If difficulty comes, congratulations, you're human. Well, pastor, I'm trying really hard to, to follow Jesus. And all these bad things keep happening to you. Happening. Congratulations. You're human. 
Welcome to following Jesus. I remember one time our daughter got sick, McKeely. She just turned 12 in September. But she was uh, one years old, and the doctor told us that she had a condition that was really serious, and they thought she might die. And I remember like the first 30 seconds of hearing that, I, I said to God this, uh, no lie, I did. God, I'm trying my best to serve you with my life. And anything you've ever asked for me, I've always given you. And this is how you repay me? This is what you do to me? Really? Mind you, it only lasted about 30 seconds and, and I got it together. But I had this idea in my mind that God owed me something. That when difficulty came my way, it was God's fault. So you got to blame somebody and God's the obvious target, right? But that's a misunderstanding of how difficulty works. The Bible says that rain falls on the just and the unjust the same. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 12, Peter says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. <laughs> you think it's weird that you're going through a rough spot? That's not weird at all. It would be weird if you didn't have difficulty. It would be strange if you didn't have trials. It would be mind-blowing if you never had difficulties. Because it happens to everybody. It's just part of life. So hardship isn't necessarily a sign that something's going wrong. Now, I do want to pause for just a second and say this. When you rebel against God and you're living in sin, Hebrews chapter 12 is very clear that God will discipline you and will make your life very uncomfortable until you get back in a right relationship with him. Just as any good parent will discipline their child when they step out of line as harshly as they have to to get them back into a right relationship, God's the same way. He's going to discipline you until you need to get things back. So when hardship comes, first thing I do is make sure that everything's 100% right between me and God. God, if this is chastening, you can stop now. You got my attention. If there's anything wrong in my heart, please expose it so I can confess it. But otherwise, this is just God doing what God does, allowing me to, to feel these things and go through these things. And suffering is actually a gift because suffering is a growth opportunity. I know that sounds like leadership book management technique talk don't see difficulty as a hard time see it as a growth opportunity yeah. i know it sounds like that but it's really not suffering is a time for you to actually strengthen yourself in the lord turn turn to romans chapter one if you would I want you, or romans five i'm sorry i want you to take a look at this this is so so good. I, I love the book of Romans. Oh man, I love the book of Romans. It's so good. <laughs> the end of Romans chapter four, it's talking about what, what Christ has done for us and how we were imputed sin by Adam or passed on sin from Adam, but now we are imputed righteousness through Jesus Christ. Jesus, verse 25, who is delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Jesus was put to death because of our sin, but he was raised again so that he could declare us righteous. That's what the word justification means. Verse number five, therefore, being justified by faith, we're saved because we have faith in God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory of God. 
And not only this, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Hmm. Get this. This is awesome. Difficulty, trials, tribulations, suffering is the catalyst that kicks off something incredible that God wants to do in your life. Again, back that up. Tribulation brings patience. Patience brings experience. Experience brings hope. And then hope is what causes God's love to ignite in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is just the beginning of something awesome that God wants to do. This is God doing something in you to make you something that you weren't before. This is God strengthening you to prepare you for what's coming ahead. When my wife was, was pregnant with McKeeley, man, this would have been 13 plus years ago, um, I signed up for a triathlon and I was uh, training for that. And so uh, I, would, I would bike and run uh, during the day and at night sometimes. But we lived in, in Lancaster, California, which is in the middle of the desert, and there was no open bodies of water to swim in. And so my swimming was a little bit different. And so there was a, a city pool that was open at 5 a.m. to 5.30, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for lap swimming only. And so basically I had 90 minutes a week that I could swim if I got to the pool, if all the lanes weren't taken, if there wasn't some lady on the, the end doing water aerobics and stuff, all that other stuff that old people do in the gym, in the, in the pool. And I was the only person under 80 at the pool at five o'clock in the morning, right? But I thought to myself, I gotta get this done. But here's the thing, I was training for a half Ironman triathlon and swimming 30 minutes a day in the pool doesn't cut it. You need like hours built up. And so I began looking online, doing some research and, and things like that. And they make these what are called swim trainers, where you basically lay on a table and you put these paddles on your hands that are hooked to these cables that hook to this big wheel on a flywheel that basically the harder that you pull it, the more resistance it puts. And basically you lay on this table in, in this swim trainer and it supposed to help you get the right movements and the right resistance to be able to feel like you're swimming and improve your swimming performance, right? So I began looking at this and watching a bunch of YouTube videos and stuff, and it was like $1,800, which we did not have, and, and so I was like, this is terrible. And so I began looking at other things that you could do online to, to improve your swimming performance without actually swimming, and things like holding your breath and breathing techniques and stretching and uh, working out in the gym, working certain types of muscles and stuff like that. But did you know the best way in the entire world, and science backs this up, the best way in the entire world to become better at swimming, do you know what you really have to do? You guys were ahead of me on that one, right? I didn't know that. I thought there's a shortcut somewhere, right? There's some new uh, piece of uh, technology that I can get or some app I can download or some breathing that I can do. No, the best thing to do is just swim. That's it. And you know what we did? We'd take Thursday off as my, as my day off. We would go to Santa Monica Beach or Manhattan Beach. And we'd drive an hour and a half to go and, and I would swim for an hour in the ocean. And you know what? There was no substitute for that. You want to become a better runner? You know what you need to do? Run. Well, I can't run very fast or very far. Good, start. You'll get better over time. 
It'll be better riding a bike. You know what you need to start doing? Riding a bike. You want to lift heavier weights? You know what you need to start doing? Lifting weights. You want to be better at going through trials? You know what you got to do? Hmm. Is there a shortcut? No. You got to go through trials. And you'll be strengthened through that. So that like the second or third time it comes, you'll be like, no, here we go again. I know what to do. And here's the thing. This is an opportunity for you to be strengthened in the Lord. You want your your relationship with God to to be strengthened? It'll do it. But it takes time. And we got to look at this as an opportunity that God wants me to grow. Every time a trial comes into our lives now, we ask this question, very first question we ask after, is everything right between me and God? Is this, God, what you want me to learn through this? Because you're teaching me something. I just got to be aware of what you're teaching. This past year has been difficult, I think, on everybody in one way or another. But the question is, God, what are you teaching me through this? And God's exposed a lot of things in my heart over the last 12 months that I wouldn't have seen otherwise, and I'm glad that he did. But it's an opportunity for us to grow. Next, suffering for Jesus unites us with him and other believers throughout history. Turn back to Philippians 1, if you would. Paul says, for unto you is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. Paul says, Jesus suffered, you can too. In verse 30, he says this, you see what I'm going through. He says, I'm in prison right now. You see me, I'm going through this. Yeah, you're gonna go, go through something similar. So get ready for it. And just know when you suffer, people have suffered before you. You go through difficulties as a Christian, other people have gone through a lot worse. But here's the thing. It's not a matter of comparison. Like, well, at least you weren't burned at the stake for it. Well, at least you didn't throw in prison like Paul, right? No, it's a matter of like, hey, Paul was persecuted and I am too. That's a, that's a privilege. It's actually a privilege to suffer for Christ. Christ suffered for me. It's a privilege. You know, it's funny. We don't see suffering as a privilege, do we? We see it as something like, hurry up and get this over with. No, no, no. It's a privilege. It's a gift. I know that sounds crazy. If you become a Christian, you'll be saved from eternal wrath, destruction, damnation. You'll be saved from hell and you'll go to heaven. You'll be adopted into the family of God. You'll be given a new purpose for life. You'll have access to all the promises of God and you will suffer. Wait, could you repeat that last year? Because one of those things is not like the other, right? Yeah, suffering, it's a privilege. You know why? Because we don't suffer like people who don't know what to do. Again, if I didn't have the Lord, this year would be nuts. The world is coming to an end. I'm not gonna go outside. I'm gonna die. Everybody around me is gonna die. I don't know what's gonna happen. There's so much to be concerned with. I'm gonna stay plugged into the news 24-7 because if it's on the news or on the internet, it's definitely true. And I'm gonna do what they tell me to do because they know what's best for me. That's what I'm going to do. But here's the thing. I'm not scared. I'm not fearful. I'm not worried. I don't want to get sick. I'm not trying to get sick. I don't want anybody else to get sick. I don't want anybody to die. But look, at the end of the day, I'm trusting the Lord through this. So again, if I have to suffer, I just know that Jesus has suffered too. The, uh, Every Christian should read Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
It's not a book that you sit down and read the whole thing in one sitting or read a chapter a day. It's just bite-sized chunks of people who've given their life for the faith. You might read it as part of your devotional reading, maybe read two or three paragraphs a day or something like that. My pastor in California wrote a book called Outsiders uh, a couple of years ago. One of the best books I've read in the last five years by far. It's a story of 13 men after the Bible who gave their life for the cause of Christ. And to think of this, if you have a Bible today in English, William Tyndale was burned at the stake. And you know what his crime was? He translated the Bible into English. And so somebody literally died. Somebody was literally murdered and executed for the book that you hold in your hand. I need to think about that the next time time somebody cracks a joke at work and I feel persecuted. I need to think about that. And here's the thing. You don't mind me for being a Christian? That's fine. So what? William Tyndale gave his life for, for, so I could have the Bible. I'm in good company. And so Paul says, hey, this is not a thing to be afraid of, but it's actually a thing that's an honor. Sufferings are an opportunity to glorify God. Again, when we talk about glorifying God, we're talking about exalting God, putting him in his rightful place. Glorifying God is really just a rearrangement of my priorities. When I say that God's first in my life, it, it governs the way that I treat my wife, the way that I raise my children, the way that I conduct my business. The things that I will do, the things that I won't do. It changes everything because I want God to be reflected well in my life. I want my life to point people to God. Four final thoughts today and we're done. First of all, not everyone will be thrilled about you following Jesus. Follow him anyways. There's going to be people who are like, oh, I can't believe that you're one of them. Oh, I can't believe you're doing that. Man, you take this stuff really seriously, don't you? Oh, my goodness. That's fine. Follow anyways. It might be family members. Angela and I have family members that don't speak to us because we're Christ followers. That's okay. Do I feel like I've lost anything because of that? No, I think I've gained family. Here, you guys are, you guys are family to us. So the fact that my, my kids don't get to see their cousins or aunts or uncles or grandparents or anything like that, we're not missing out on anything. No, God's given us far more. But here's the thing. I'm going to do what I do anyways because it's right, not because of what you think about it. But one of our family members told us that, you're stupid for not letting your kids watch R-rated movies. They're going to watch them when they move out of your house anyways. Okay, that's fine. That's, that's your opinion. No, you're stupid. Hmm. Okay. Feels personal, doesn't it? Not personal. You just hate the truth. Not my fault. I'm going to do what's right anyways. And look, if my kids grow up and watch R-rated movies... I'm going to just cling to the promise that says, train up a child in the way that they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Maybe one day they'll come back around and see that, hey, maybe mom and dad were right because they pointed us to capital T truth. But I'm not doing what I'm doing because it's popular. I'm not doing what, it's, what I'm doing to try to get more friends. Hey, look, did you know that our church could be three times the size it is right now if we would compromise on a few key doctrines? Triple the size. I'm not trying to be popular. Trying to be biblically accurate, that's all. Secondly, 
View your life through the lens of God's word, not the distorted perspective of the world. I, uh, it's hard as a parent because you want to protect your kids from the world, but at the same time, you don't want to insulate them from the world. If the first time they go out into the world, they're just like, oh, my soul. And so it's kind of a balance, but I want to give them a true view of what life looks like. You know, when they show commercials on TV of people drinking and dancing and having fun and stuff like that, I always tell my kids, hey, they never show what happens after this. They never show the guy that's drinking on his couch alone watching TV and passes out every night because he can't stop. They don't show that on TV because that wouldn't sell a lot. You know, when they show some guy driving a sports car across the desert in, in California, you know, and you can, too can lease a Mercedes for $700 a month, you know. Bro, nobody drives in a, a desert at night by themselves. They don't. You're going to be sitting in traffic on the H1 with everybody else that's paying $800 a month for a car. And it's not awesome. It's foolishness. Don't buy into that. So again, I only view my life from what the Bible says, not what the world wants me to say, wants me to see. And again, it's really important to understand the world has its own programming of what you're supposed to believe and what you're supposed to follow. And we just as Christians just need to reject that. My, my, my marching orders come from God's word. So view the world, not through the lens of what the world wants you to see, but through the lens of God's word. Thirdly, it'll get hard, but you're never alone. So keep moving forward. It's going to get hard. I promise you that. For some of you, probably it's hard right now. That's okay. Just keep going. <laughs> I heard a, a story one time of a little boy. His mom told him, hey, Johnny, go down to the cellar and get the, the peanut butter. And he said, Mom, I don't like the cellar. It's dark down there. It's scary. She said, it's okay, Johnny. Jesus is with you. And she was like, I don't think he's down in the cellar. No, Jesus is. He's down in the cellar, I promise. He said, okay. So Johnny goes down to the door of the cellar and he opens it up and says, hey, Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me the peanut butter? <laughs> and sometimes when we say, well, Jesus is with you, it's like, yeah, a lot of good that is, you know? What, what's he, he going to do? Talk to my boss for me? No, please understand this that he is always with you because he's giving you a spirit inside of you and you're never alone, first of all, get that. But you need to understand what it means to be a Christian. If you're a Christian, you are a child of God, that means you can talk to God not as holy, high, exalted God, but you can talk to God as Father. You need to get that, God's your Father. Secondly, the Bible tells us that Christ is our brother. We're joint heirs together with Christ, that he's our brother and if, if God is my father and Jesus is my brother and the spirit of God dwells inside me, I'm never, ever alone. But you add on top of that, that you have a pastor that loves you and prays for you. You have a church family that cares for you. And if you're part of a small group, knows your name and prays for you on a weekly basis. And you have at your disposal every single promise that God has ever given to his children found directly in his word. Friend, you are the farthest thing from all of it. So, again, one of the ways that the, the devil wants to get you is he wants to isolate you. That's one of the tricks of the devil is to isolate. You're all by yourself, bro. Who's, who's here for you? Nobody's here. 
That church, nobody knows your name there. Name five people that you know at that church. They're not there for you. God's forgotten you. You can pray as much as you want. Where's that gotten you? And the devil begins to isolate you and feed you lies and begins to attack capital T truth. And you're like, oh no, I'm alone. This has gotten hard. I thought this was going to be easy. I thought Jesus would make all my problems go away. I'm going to cut that out and realize, hey, suffering is just part of life. And I would rather go through suffering with Jesus than without him. So buckle up, buttercup. Let's get after it. That's the idea. So it's going to get hard. Be ready. But you're never alone. Final thought. God is always, always, always speaking to us. Listen and obey. Simple as that. Now again, God's not going to speak to you in dreams and visions and, and God doesn't, please understand that God doesn't always speak in circumstances. It's so funny people say, oh, pastor, we've been praying about what we're supposed to do and I got a job offer in, in Texas making double what I'm making here. And so that's, that's God opening up opportunity. Because God always speaks in an increase in salary? Does God ever speak in a decrease in salary? Pastor, we know this is God's will because I want to take a pay cut of $15,000 a year. Nobody ever says that. And so it's funny, we always take our circumstances, always shoehorn that into where God must be leading. God speaks definitively through his word. God speaks by his son. God speaks through wise, godly people around us. That's where you need to focus. And here's the thing. Sometimes the circumstances don't make sense. Abraham, I need you to take everything you have, pack it up, and go. Where am I going? I'll tell you all that later. Where am I going to go? And to a land that you've never seen before. Moses, I want you to go and talk to the most powerful man on earth and tell him to let my slave, his slave laborers go because they're my people. What am I supposed to say? Just tell him that I sent you. And here's what he says. Uh, hey, um, if anybody asks what your name is, what should I tell them? That's how little he knew. So circumstances aren't always favorable when it comes to faith. But God is always speaking. And so I need to be really closely in tune with what God's saying. And when he gives me clear wisdom and direction, I just need to jump in and obey. It's not always going to be easy, but it's always best, guaranteed. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure if you died today that heaven's your home. Please do not leave here today without knowing for sure that there's been a time, a date, a place in your life where you were saved, where you are born again, because at the end of this life comes your punishment. Unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, and he will, and your life will change in ways that you can't even fathom right now. But for those of us that are Christians, I don't know how this message hits, but I know that when we hear truth, it always applies. Maybe you've been living for this world and you've allowed your flesh to take over and run the show and you really believe that you know, all the stuff that you see on the internet's true. Maybe you crave the things of this world and you just want to be accepted. And so maybe you keep being a Christian kind of private and to yourself because if you like were out there, people might make fun of you or something like that. Maybe it's your time in the year ahead to just say, hey, I'm just going to live like a Christian. I don't care who knows you. I'm not going to be embarrassed about carrying my Bible. I'm going to be embarrassed about praying for meals. I'm just going to do it. Maybe you're going through a difficult spot and you think, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe God's mad at me. Maybe this isn't 
what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe you just need to, to listen to God and endure and be strengthened and, and get better through it. I don't know. I don't know how today's message applies, but I know that it applies. And so I want to encourage you, whatever God's spoken to you about, just be obedient to that today. And thankfully, as we close out this year, it's been a crazy year, huh? But here's what I do know. God's been faithful. The world didn't end. God's still faithful. Everything didn't fall apart. God's still faithful. What's it going to mean for next year? I have no idea, honestly. I don't don't know what's going to happen next year. But I do know this much. God's faithful. And so we're just going to continue to trust in him one day at a time. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.